Hello, 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 my friends, my family, my brethren, my comrades, my brothers and sisters, and all in between. Welcome to another episode of the Bard Talks podcast, my 21st episode. My podcast can now drink, if that makes any sense. Um, on this one, I had my buddy Gary from at Gary Likes Games. He joined me for a super fun, in-depth, detailed conversation about uh, the economics of gaming, about where we are in our prices, where we are in the business practices, how we feel about the value of things, and, and how we feel about what companies offer us in return for our money, and uh, all manner of, of topic in between in that, in that realm. Um, it's, uh, it's one of our longer ones because anytime I get Gary on here, uh, man, we can, we can go at it. And I, and I love that. I love having people join me here. Um, it's, it's always a good discourse. It's always, uh, a, a great conversation and I am excited for y'all to listen in and to hear it and enjoy all the, uh, the shenanigans that we get up to in our conversation. So here is our conversation from uh, from this evening, and I hope you all enjoy it. So this was kind of a hot topic on Twitter. Right now, I think this topic has kind of cooled down. I don't think it's uh, – right now, I don't know if there's really any spicy issues on Twitter at the moment, like at least in the, right. the circles that we run. I know graphics was recently – um, but before that, oh, Jesus, yeah, it was um, it was prices in gaming, and uh, right. I found that kind of interesting. And I have thoughts on it. and I'm sure you have thoughts on it. And I am definitely curious yeah. to hear your thoughts, or at least what thoughts you can give, given where you work. Uh-huh. There may be some things you can't say, which I totally understand. Um, <laughs> but so there are a lot of different examples I have listed here as far as like the price of certain games and whether they should have been that price or whether they shouldn't have been that price. Uh, the first one is the legend of Zelda skyward sword just recently got re-released and it got re-released at $60 right. ver- 60 right. us dollars versus when it originally launched on the Wii, it was only 50 us dollars. So right. the um the cause for discourse is people are saying how can Nintendo have remastered this game and are also selling it for $10 more than what it originally launched at. And I have not played right. Skyward Sword or like I might have played it once on the Wii, but mm-hmm. uh, outside of that I haven't played it. So I kind of have an opinion on it, but I want your opinion first because I know you've played it. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, first of all, like the 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 remaster. Um, it's it's really good. Like, it's when you're playing on the Switch on handheld, it's a little difficult because it's not designed for that. Like, it was designed obviously using motion controls um, with the Wii controller. And then um, if you are playing it on docked mode on the Switch, then you can use your Joy-Cons and you get that full experience. So the control issue kind of fades away if you choose to do that. Okay. Um, the pricing of it, it's, I get it. Like I get where they're coming from, but having been, and first and foremost, I do not advocate at all 
the way our capitalist society functions. Like, yeah. I don't want people to go like, oh, he's just a capitalist. Oh, like, no. Like, our, our system as a whole, which is a whole other conversation, has major flaws, and it should not be done the way it's done. Right. That being said, as a former business owner, but also has somebody who has to live on a budget, I feel like the argument over the $10 increase comes down to heart versus mind. And by that, I mean... I get where people are coming from. Like it's the same game. It just looks a little bit nicer, but everything about it is the same. Why is it $10 more? Right. Um, If you're looking at it through logic and ration and rational thinking, you have to adjust for the times. Like that game came out. What God, how many years has it been? I believe it's at least 10. Right. Like a, a $50 game then. It's it's the same thing as looking back at Ocarina of Time on the 64 versus the 3DS, you know, and then if they're going to release it again in the future or any game that's been like Final Fantasy 7, you know, looking back on it and then all the remasters and the re-releasing of that and whatever, any game that was released before and released now, there ha- you can't do that. Like any game, any 64 game, you know, the price was a certain way. And then you get to uh, the GameCube and then prices. And whatnot. every game, you know, every generation, it seems like the prices kind of go up. And that's unfortunately just the way it is from a business perspective. They have to account for inflation. They have to account for wage increases, overhead increases, all yes. that other stuff. And then at the end of the day, they have to account for keeping their shareholders happy. That's why any corporation does what it does. And yes. they don't care. They can say how much they care about the, the people, the customer, whatever, but they have to keep the stockholders happy. They have to make profit. So that's the reason why they're doing it. That And as unfair as it may seem, like that's that. there's no way to get around that. It's always going to be, games are always going to keep increasing in prices. It's, there's no going back down I agree. But from an emotional standpoint, sure. Like, I, I agree. Like, the game, you know, has not changed. It just It's just been updated graphically. So you feel like, as a Zelda fan or as a gamer in general, like, why do we have to pay these prices? But it's just been that way for so long. And that doesn't make it right, but that's just where we are. And we either have to eat it and enjoy it or just don't support it. Like, don't don't buy it, don't invest in it, don't do whatever, and then you just don't play it. And that's so black and white when it should be a lot more gray. But again, that's just unfortunately the way that it is. Yeah. Uh, Your thoughts pretty much line up with mine. By no means am I ever going to advocate for a company to charge more. But like you said, the shareholders, Mm -hmm. Nintendo's going to... If Nintendo had sold it for $50 because it was a remaster... And, you know, their next shareholder meeting when they're telling their shareholders like, yeah, Skyward Sword did great. It sold. I don't know what it's at now. I know it did really well, but let's say it sold just slightly more or maybe even a fair bit more at $50 than it does at uh, $60. Mm -hmm. I guess I should say $59.99, $49.99, but you know what I mean. Um, Right. The shareholders, the first question I would have if I was a shareholder is like, well, every other Switch game, it starts out at $60 a piece. Why didn't this one? And like, it's clear because we live in the timeline where it was $60. The the remaster did fine. 
Um, it, it, it sold well enough that I think Nintendo is going to be happy with it and the shareholders are going to be happy with it. Like, even when the price was a controversy, I think it was, like, number one on Amazon or something. So it did, or number one game right. on Amazon or Switch game or whatever the metric was. Um, and I do, be- again, I haven't played Skyward Sword, but I know, I think I read, and um, Nintendo tends to be pretty good about this with their remasters. In addition to the graphics, there were quality of life changes, I think, right? Some things were made a little yes. easier or, or um, you know, they, uh, like, I know, I know the example I'm, I'm familiar with is Wind Waker HD on the Wii U. Uh, it cut the Hunt for mm-hmm. the Triforce piece, the one you have to fish for in the ocean. It cut that, like, it, it made that right. a lot easier. And I'm pretty sure I read that Skyward Sword had something similar. Yes, that is true. There's a few little changes like that. Um, and I feel like it, none of that takes away from the the overall like story arc and all that stuff. It's just little things to not make it as so nuanced as it was on the Wii. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. And I think that's something I wish more companies would do with the remasters. I know some people are pretty purist about like it needs to be exactly how it was when it first came out. And I disagree entirely on that. Right. It's make, make things easier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you can, there's nothing wrong with remastering a game and improving upon it, you know, like yes. it's like the people who are behind the final fantasy seven remake as an example the game is being remade now the way that uh, Square originally wanted it done, but they did not have the tech. They did not have the, the funding. They didn't have the ability to do so then. So they're trying to remake it now in the way that with uh, software, you know, developers and all that stuff, um, changing a game to meet not only the generation we're in, but to meet their own vision. Yeah. You cut out for a second there. Like, I think I got what you were saying. But it was, um, you cut out right after you said that, like, they were remaking it in the vision that they had before. And then it right. cut yeah, that that's uh, like software. Oh, yeah. No, I was saying that. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty much what I was saying. Like, is I don't have any issue with them doing that. It's, uh, if they have the ability to make a game that they made before, they remake it now in a, in more along the vision that they had, then I don't see that there's an issue with that. You know, I don't think it has to be tried and true to the original iteration of it. If they have a better idea and they can execute that idea now, then by all means go for it. So that example specifically, I can understand where some people might have a problem with it. I agree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. If that was their, you know, that was the, the vision that they had, Back in what ninety seven is when it came out ninety something I think yes, um, mm-hmm. so I can definitely understand like hey we want to make this now that we have this technology we want to make it the best game it can possibly be we want to make it true to the visions we had prior uh, or back in twenty some years ago almost twenty years ago I guess not all. yeah mm-hmm. no over twenty years ago yeah over twenty years now yeah so um. 
But I, I, I can understand that more so than something like Skyward Sword or Wind Waker HD, where it's like, we took this thing that was really tedious that we thought was going to be fun originally, and it turns out it did not uh, get received as well as we had hoped. So, yeah, we switched it up. We, we cut some of the, the less... We cut some of the tedious stuff out. Right. But back on topic, I have, like I said, I have several games in this whole pricing category thing. Sure. Uh, so the next one is Metroid Dread. I've seen people discuss whether or not that should also be $60. And the argument with that is the previous Metroid games that we've gotten were all on the mm-hmm. 3DS or the DS. Or I think I think this will be the first one on a console since Metroid Prime 3. Maybe? I believe so, yeah. So, and because it's uh, the 2D style, the uh, the original Metroid style of it versus the Metroid Prime, people are arguing, well, because they charge $30 for this kind of game or, or $40, whatever range that fell in, then they shouldn't be charging this much for it. They shouldn't be charging $60 for it. And I think you kind of answered this one with the Skyward Sword answer, but I would Love to hear your opinion on it anyway. See, that's... And this is where I have to question the moral uh, standing of Nintendo, you know, as and and developers who do this kind of thing. Like, because you're not... It's, you know, it's a brand new uh, addition to that franchise. So you're... Right. But they're using the same um visual aesthetic as before so you're not really getting an upgrade in that area so now you have to wonder and and i don't really think it's a wonder i think it's absolutely true because you see it in almost in any line of gaming uh film anime books whatever it's a brand issue now you have to think is it are they know that logistically like based on the style of the game and what you're getting out of it maybe but because it's a Metroid title and that that carries so much weight, you know, they're looking for that profit. They're looking for that value. Yeah. And so they're they're going to throw it out there at you like, hey, this is this game. This is new to you. This is a part of a franchise you love dearly. Are you going to pay us for it? And they're betting heavily on the fact that people will. And judging by what I've seen through my job and also on social media, they're winning that bet. Yes, they absolutely are. Like, they have no doubt that people are going to pay for that name. So, I I think I might disagree with you. I mean, we kind of still are on the same page, but, like, stylistically, is it the same? Yes. Based on the gameplay we've seen, it does look like it's going to be very well detailed. Much more detailed than something you would have gotten on, like, I think Samus Returns was the last one in this style on the 3DS, and that one was a remake. Um, and you're going to get, based on what we've seen, it looks like it's going to be a lot more detailed than Samus Returns. But with this, because it's not a remake like Skyward Sword was, I really believe that this is something we just kind of have to uh, 
uh, see what it's like when it comes out. A lot of people I see are kind of writing it off as this is going to be just like the the 3DS and DS games, and it's going to be like uh, you play the story, and then exploration is the rest of your like uh, content in that game. And it's and they're comparing it to things mm-hmm. like Hollow Knight and other Metroidvanias that have come out. And they're like, you know, if why would I why would I buy Metroid Dread for sixty dollars when Hollow Knight and uh, Bloodstained and all these other games are anywhere from fifteen to forty dollars, and I'm gonna get a similar experience. And like you said, you're paying for the name, you're paying for right. um, you're paying for the quality that you can count on to an extent from Nintendo because overall, whether you like their games or not, they typically release pretty well done. Um, but kind of on a tangent on this one, they did. People had the same problem when they were releasing Pokemon games, Pokemon games have almost always been handheld. And when they came to the switch, they started charging $60 for them. And people were like, ah, I don't know about this. Do you feel the same way about Pokemon? <laughs> oh, 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 man! Uh, see that—that's always the uh, the exception, I guess, that proves the rule. Because I can sit here from a logical standpoint, and be like, "Look, I get why they're doing it from an overhead perspective, profit perspective, all that jazz. I get it, a hundred percent, understand it." But then you hit me in in the nostalgia and the heartstrings. You hit me with my favorite franchise ever. I'm yeah. like, you bastards. <laughs> like, I know why you're doing it. I don't agree with it. But as soon as they announced that they were working on Pokemon titles for the Switch, I was like, or even before that, when they announced the end of the 3DS, I'm like, wow, Pokemon games are going to be 60 bucks. Yeah. And that's the way it is. And I've wrestled with it because, like, Sword and Shield, like, first of all, let's go Pikachu, let's go Eevee. I'll never agree that they should have been that much. Like, that was, they're decent games. But even for the quality of what you got, has a rundown remake of Red and Blue, which is all they are, <laughs> with Pokemon Go style play. Yeah. Not a good look. But Sword and Shield, uh, with just the extras, like the the extra add-ons that they offer with it, as far as the raid concept, and I use that with quotes that you can't see, like air quotes. Yeah. Because it's barely constituting the idea of what a raid is. Um, it does, it didn't really feel like they were giving you a lot, but I guess it's a new space for them to operate in. But also what really kind of hurt them, hurt me when they charged that much money is the fact that I knew DLC would come. It was so obvious that they were going to do that. Yeah. And they did twice. Yeah. But, you know, as well as I understood it, I was like, well, I disagree with it, but here's my money because I'm not going to not play it. Right. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's, uh... Go ahead. No, I'm saying it's... Nostalgia is such a killer. Like, you can have the most rational argument ever to not buy a game, but nostalgia will get you almost every time. Yeah. Um, I've long accepted, as and this may uh, make me sound like a fanboy or something... But I've long accepted that Nintendo and Game Freak will have my money for just about every mainline Pokemon game. 
Oh, same. I already pre-ordered like Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, like, and they're almost paid in full. Nice. <laughs> like I, I already know before I even saw the gameplay, I was like, just take my money because I'm not gonna not get it. <laughs> yeah, well, and with those specifically, like I know what to expect out of Gen Four. Well, the, actually, that's another great example of this whole remake thing. Um, Diamond and Pearl were mm-hmm. thirty-five dollars. Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl are going to be sixty dollars. I I personally yep. I don't know much about developing a game, but I would imagine that to a certain extent it's more time consuming to develop for the Switch than it would be for the three DS. Or or at least the DS. I don't know about the three DS because it had that whole three D element thing to it. But um like I Um I, I would agree with that. I think I'm like I'm definitely oh I'll I'll accept having to pay sixty dollars for um Pokemon and I have a a mild interest in Metroid Dread. I've never been a big Metroid fan, but that game looks pretty sweet in my opinion, so I might end up picking it up. Mm-hmm. At the very least, I'm going to revisit some of the Metroid games I do have and see if I can get into them. No, I'm the same way. Like, Metroid isn't bad, but it's never been my big thing. But, and and this, like, with the the Diamond and Pearl thing, just real quick, it's, uh, it almost feels like I'd lose credibility here. Because (laughs) after seeing the gameplay and just seeing the aesthetic, because the aesthetic is so damn similar to what Pokemon games always looked like. Uh And for me, that's worth the 60 bucks way more than Sword and Shield were. Like, the fact they got away from the Sword and Shield design so quickly, because I fully expected any more Pokemon games to look like that, and and these don't, and I'm happy that they don't. I'm happy that these follow more true to the originals that they're remaking. So yeah. it's kind of weird that I'd be fine paying for less in a way. <laughs> but again, like, if you put Pokemon on it, I'll buy it. So <laughs> I'm yeah. not the most credible source. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Like, I know when those trailers first dropped, some people were like, ew, it's chibi. And I was not one of those people. I was, oh my god, they're adorable. And I want to play Oh, same. And like like you said, it it really upgrades the designs and the aesthetic from the DS games while still keeping that same aesthetic. And I think that's really cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, but like I said, I you and I both admitted that we'll we'll buy mainline Pokemon games pretty much without question. So oh yeah, we we may have a little bit of a bias. Just a bit. I mean, <laughs> it's and and what's crazy and this not to get terribly away from the subject matter, uh-huh. but. The last rumor, and it is complete, I really want to stress this enough to people listening, like it is entirely a rumor, and I haven't heard anything about it since, but after Sword and Shield released, there was a a rumor flying around a few game sites, and I think Kotaku might have been one of them, that Game Freak and the Pokemon Company and Nintendo, um, the follow-ups to Sword and Shield after the Diamond and Pearl remakes, uh, two, two points on that, they were considering allegedly that the Pokemon games that come out with next 
could very well be the last ones, which I would find really hard to believe because that's a cash cow that will not stop giving. Yeah. But they were also supposedly discussing the idea of, you know how you always have a legendary that's attributed to one version, you know? Mm -hmm. Like you can only get one at the end or whatever, but they were considering doing versions for starters, like having three different versions and you could only get you know one starter on each one uh, which they would make killer money but i can't see them really i cannot buy into that rumor because that might be the one nail in the coffin that would convince me like yes this is a hundred percent just a, a really crafty gimmick and i don't want to be a part of this anymore so i can't think they'll actually do that but the fact that they could consider it maybe and get away with it speaks volumes to how they view us as customers. Yeah. Um, so as far as the the rumor that the, the one after the remakes here is going to be the last, I feel like every generation we get that rumor. I, I want to say Gold and Silver were supposed to be the last games or rumored to be supposed to be the last games. Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald were rumored to be the last games. And like you said, it's just a, it's never going to not print money or at least, at least for the foreseeable future, they would have to screw something up massively for it to not be the cash cow that it is. Absolutely. I mean, they gave us Pokemon that resemble a keychain and a scoop of ice cream, and we still bought the games. So, <laughs> well, like, they're going to keep, and there's a, literally a pile of garbage that's a Pokemon. So they're going to keep going. <laughs> I love Trubbish. I just want to put that out there. And Garbodor. Right? So good. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I don't know how active you were on, were on Twitter when the whole um, Dexit thing w- was trending and people were like we're gonna boycott pokemon because they're not giving us all the pokemon available in this game and oh to an extent i, I understand that. that but um even with that massive outcry or w- what we perceived as a massive outcry pe- i think people tend to forget that twitter itself is a bubble and it might be a big bubble but it's still a bubble um even with that sword and shield are on track to be like the I think they are the second highest selling Pokemon game now, only behind the Gen I believe 1 games. So, so mm-hmm. it, obviously, that massive boycott did not work. And probably, I, I, I can't no. fathom. I think Nintendo would have to have something, or Game Freak specifically, would have to have something on the level of what's going on at Activision Blizzard. For it to be oh even God. in the realm of possibility. I can't even. Ugh. Yeah. That, I that... can't fathom how to react. Like, <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Not <laughs> like I. Oh, my God. Like my principles <laughs> for as much as I've railed against Blizzard. <laughs> uh, no, I, I know. <laughs> I know exactly. Anybody who's listened to my this. podcast would absolutely wait for my response to say, all right. Jackass, are you gonna hold the same standard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it. I'm kind of in the same boat. Where like right now, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, definitely. But um, if it if it came down, if it actually happened, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that my what my answer would be. 
Because uh, much like you, I would Pokemon have was to believe. I would. Go ahead. Absolutely. Like, and that's a real question of can you separate the art from the artist? Which in Blizzard's case, no, you can't because holy shit, that they're terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would have to. I'd like to believe I would stop. I would say no. And and I and this. I don't want this to. I'm really glad Game Freak, the Pokemon. I'm really glad they're Japanese based because I'm not. Japan's not perfect. Yeah. But you rarely hear about this kind of thing in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean it doesn't happen or doesn't mean. Yeah. Was that. <laughs> But no, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it happens, but either they're really good at hiding it, or... <laughs> Man, now you've got me worrying. Like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. Like, it's, what it's... would I do? I would just look at my pile of Pokemon games and be like, well, I guess I'm selling you. <laughs> well, uh, like, okay, specifically that, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. With my Pokemon games that I already own, they've already got that money. Me selling them isn't going to take away money from them. Now, would I buy Pokemon games in the future? Again, That's a that, good point. That would have to be... We would have to see. Um, I I really right. I don't know my answer to that question. And and there's no such thing as guilt-free capitalism. No, I mean, you got a good point. No. Uh, <laughs> there's yeah. not... Okay, let's get back on track for the... Well, uh, well I know the... what I'm having a nightmare about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't want to talk about Game Freak being as bad of a company as Blizzard because yeah. I can't really wrap my head around that idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the next one. Have you seen the... Uh, the What the uh, graded Mario 64... Uh, copy sold for recently and there was another game that sold for a ridiculous amount actually I tweeted about it um, oh ah uh, jesus wasn't it in the hundreds of thousands or was it more was it a million it was uh, i believe 1.5 to 2 million it mario 64 sealed wow. graded sold for that much um, and there was a understandable kind Man. of value <laughs> sigh from people in the retro game collecting scene because that is a uh -huh. stupid price to pay. And as time goes on, people See, are yeah. I'm hang on. I'm wondering if there's a delay between what I'm saying and what you're hearing because I feel like. Like, you're reacting to something I say, like, like, in the middle of my next sentence. And I think that's what's going on. But I don't know for sure. And I'm doing the same to you. I don't know. I'm getting perfect sound on my end. I I'm getting good sound, too. I'm just wondering if, like... When I say something, you're not getting it for like three seconds till three seconds later, or something similar. That's very possible. Okay. Anyway, back to the topic. I'm glad here. people can hear this too because I want them to understand how raw it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I thought maybe you'd take this out, but you can keep it in if you want. I don't care. Oh, yeah, that is an exorbitant amount of money. Yes. Um, so as time has gone on, because I think that sold back in July, um, what mm -hmm. people are suspecting is that maybe there's some foul play or there's something more to Mario 64 going for $2 million. It's not just a case of some rich guy wanting to have a conversation piece and maybe it's like is this money laundering is this uh is it is there something nefarious at foot and i'm just curious as to what you think it could be i don't think it's nefarious and i say that because the amount of people that would have to be in on that loop and no one would say anything it's pretty high, but the fact that that would go for that amount of money, honestly, it does not surprise me. And it's a, uh, it's a shocking amount of money. I'll give it that. But the fact that somebody would pay it just given the state of collectibles since the pandemic began, and this is very much tied into the pandemic. I don't want people to think this is like a random thing that just happened. Yeah. But I truly believe it's tied in to the pandemic. And I say that because collectibles and like as a side hobby, I have uh, outside of games and all that stuff. I'm a very big uh, sports fan. I'm a very big sports card collector. And you see that in this aspect of collecting and uh, collectibles as well. The prices on graded uh, cards, graded sealed games, uh, old retro games, everything has gone up because yes the pandemic forced people to literally find something to do. And that sounds like an oversimplified explanation, but the fact that you have stores like Target and Walmart that no longer carry sealed uh, sports card products and are very, very limited in carrying sealed Pokemon cards, as an example. Yeah. Um, it's because people were running out and scooping them up and selling them at 400% markups. So, the collectible industry and, and retro games saw an influx of, of that as well over the pandemic. Yeah. That's why that doesn't surprise me. I don't think it's nefarious. What is, and people need to understand this about collecting is if you ever want to know how a collectible market is going to end up or where it's heading, you have to watch the actual stock market because once this bubble that we're in of inflation and this ex excessive wealth that's being divvied out among only like, you know, the 1%, but, and how much people are paying for collectibles and all that, all the cool stuff that people like to do, it's going to come crashing down. That $2 million uh, Mario game, it will not retain value. Uh, I would, I would bet my mortgage on it. It won't retain its value. Very few things retain value like that like a first edition shadowless charizard card for example that will always have value yes. but sealed pokemon packs will not retain value so yeah. i i can't see that staying that way so i think this is just a, a knee-jerk reaction of where we are right now as collectors and you know everything from cards to retro games and all that i think these prices will come down but the unfortunate part is when they come down 
it means our economy is coming down. So the ability to still buy this stuff may not be there. Yeah, well, I mean, our economy is not in the greatest shape right now, and these prices are as high as they are. So, like, I, I agree with you, but right. I'm wondering, like, hopefully that isn't the case. Because I know... See, I would hope not... No, it's I would hope not, but just having done this for a while, especially when I... Um, when I owned my business, uh, my carbon uh, comic business, we saw it like in real time. Like we would see value on comics like go up and we would see the stock market going up. And when the stock market fell, we would see value go down. And I think another key factor that people need to consider when they're looking at what a game is worth, a game, like anything we collect has no actual value. The only value is what are you going to get somebody to pay you for it? Yes. Yeah, entirely. I agree with that entirely. Um, I haven't looked into it too much, so I don't know if there's any actual evidence. Because they'll just... No, they'll just see what something's going for. They'll see some fancy article. They'll see some big price thing, and they'll think all this old stuff's going to be valuable. I'm like, that's never the case. Absolutely. I haven't seen any evidence of, or like, I haven't looked into it enough to say whether or not there's any evidence of it being money laundering. So I can't say for sure. Mm -hmm. Um,. You very well could be right on the money with it. That it's just that's just the state of the market right now. Nerdy collectibles, mm -hmm. gaming cards are in right now. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, yeah, it's never been more popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pokemon's kind of gone through a second renaissance. Like, like, like it became just as popular as it was, if not more. Than when it first came out, and there was that big Pokemon craze. Yeah, which is, I mean, I'm happy that this is happening. Like, I'm happy that our culture is so mainstream because it means that, like, the younger generation isn't going to get ridiculed for liking the things they like. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's led to such a rise in gatekeeping and elitism and all this other nonsense. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> it's the case but with anything. What I... Go ahead. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. No, but what, you know, as far as everything we're talking about here with, like, you know, the prices of games and our, our remakes and remasters worth more than the originals and this and the other, the thing that... I have found, I really want your opinion on this one. Um, what I find interesting is when you walk in to a GameStop or a Best Buy or a Walmart and you see a game and it's $59.99, mm -hmm. Nintendo or whoever, um, that is not what they sold it at, obviously. Anybody who has any kind of a, a, a decent understanding of how economics and retail works, um, you know, they, they clearly sold it for at least half maybe a little more than half of that price right and so there has to be a markup to cover overhead and all those costs so what's interesting to me and 
And I don't really, and there might be a lot of factors that I just don't know I'm ignorant of, but a game being $59.99 in, in my GameStop store is $59.99 on the eShop when they're the supplier of that eShop. You're getting a you're not getting a physical copy. You're mm-hmm. not getting anything you can tangibly hold. So the only thing I can even think of is that they have to have some kind of contractual agreement with these retailers to not undersell it, which kind of makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, well, and that very well could be the case. Well, no, I wonder... The reason I don't know exactly... How do I want to word this? Walmart sells their Switch games for forty nine ninety nine, despite the going price being fifty nine ninety nine. I'm not sure how they're able to do that, and it's weird. That is very weird. I don't know how they're getting. I mean, one well, Walmart doesn't care, but I'm not saying they're yeah. losing money. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, if I had to guess, it's a loss leader for Walmart, but. I, I genuinely do not understand why it seems they're like they're the only place barring GameStop and the pre-owned stuff, pre-owned stuff that that is selling Switch games, especially Switch games. Like if it was Microsoft or Sony, I could maybe mostly Microsoft. I could see them striking up a deal, but like Nintendo is, they're notorious for their their games retaining their value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even... that's the only thing I could think of is uh, like for Walmart to do that, they have to be putting a lesser markup because they know they'll get the business. And if Walmart's very much a, an entity that if they can get you in the door, they know you'll buy more than that one thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. <sighs> So I'm glad you brought up the whole um, markups and stuff because I was actually going to bring that up with the next pricing topic thing I've got here. PS5 games mm-hmm. and Xbox Series X, Xbox Series X games. I almost said S and X at the same time, or tried to, um, are going for sixty nine ninety nine or seventy dollars US. Mm-hmm. Should they cost that much? And, and my answer is, it, it it's a little bit, it's kind of layered, but I want to hear your answer first. Should, well, <laughs> how, to, how to put this there? Um, I don't think anything that is priced the way it is right now should be what it is because, and I say that because the cost of living goes up, but our wages do not. So yeah, that alone is just gross. But I mean, I get, I hate that I have an analytical mind sometimes because I get why they're doing it. They have, I mean, the technology they're putting it on, you know, it's state of the art as far as console gaming goes, and they're giving you an experience you've not had before. Right. Even if it's a minuscule difference, because really, if you don't have a 4K TV, are you really enjoying it? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I feel like I really feel like they're doing it because, you know, every generation, the prices go up and 
it's it's in keeping with either their costs that they have to cover, which I can't imagine that that would be too big of a factor. Right. But they know that, look, you just paid $500 for your PS5. You're more than likely going to shell out the extra 10 bucks for a game. And that's so crazy too, because we do that. Like we'll buy the, and this really is indicative of us as gamers because we have no issue buying new consoles but man if you raise the prices of our games fuck you (laughs) (laughs) like that's uh that seems to be where we draw our line and i think as long as gamers are fixated on the cost of the game they're missing the bigger argument okay and what is that bigger argument is a PS5 truly worth $500? Is an Xbox Series X truly worth that much money? And something like I said earlier, something's only worth what you're willing to pay for it, but apparently we are willing to pay it. Because when the PS3 came out, what wasn't it originally five or six hundred dollars? I believe it was $600. because that raised Yeah, it was an unholy war that was raged about that. Yeah. And we're here we are two generations later. And the PS5 is 500. So you, it cannot be that the cost of the manufacturing has skyrocketed to that point. You know, if they felt it was justified two generations ago, and they're doing it now for less money from when the PS3 came out, right. I don't know. Like that's it. Just feels weird that this is where we we pick our fight. So the way I understand it. And I could be completely off base, but from, from what I've under from what I understand based on what I've read and looked up and everything, um, consoles are almost always sold at a loss. They are almost, or if it, they're not sold at a loss, the the profit margin is very very tiny. I would be surprised if it was more than like five or ten dollars, but I'm pretty sure they're always sold at sense. a loss. And the um, the money is made through having third-party developers put their games on your system and you charge them a some kind of a fee to do that or through games being sold to your marketplace like on Xbox and Nintendo and uh, Sony and, or, um, or through the physical game sales. From what I understand about physical game sales, the profit margin on those is also very, very small. I don't have an exact number. Um, I don't know if you do or if you have any idea what, what kind of profit they're sold at. And if you if you do know, I don't know that you're able to tell me, which is fine. Um, but, like, the the... How do I want to word this? The software that they sell is to help recoup costs of the console and to help get you in the door. The idea is, hey, we're going to sell you Halo or Pokemon. You can only get it on this console. So you're going to have to buy this console to be able to get this game. And while you're here, here's a bunch of third-party games that we want you to buy too. No, that that makes sense. And like, um, 
Like I do know the profit margin as far as what GameStop gets. And you are right in a sense, like I, I can't really get into that no, I understand. <laughs> because yeah. I'll, uh, I'll wrap myself out and not that any of my uh, coworkers listen to this, but in the off chance that someone says, yeah. Hey, this dude has this revelation, like, but I can give an analogy and I, and I don't think I'm incorrect because what you're saying is absolutely right. And, and I agree a hundred percent about the, the money isn't on really the console. You know, and then obviously with the exclusives to a to a certain console, they're going to make more on that. But a way to uh, to for people to compare it, it's like when you go see a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the the film companies aren't making any damn money on theater releases. They make their money off of their contracts with streaming services, their own streaming services, DVD sales, stuff like that. Yeah. Or when you go to a gas station, a gas station makes nothing like pen, fractions of a penny on gas. Mm-hmm. It's they, the stuff they sell in addition to it that they get, you know, inside their stores that they get their money from. Yeah. So with gaming companies, that's very true because you've got your console, but you've got all the games that you want to buy for it. You've got your accessories, your controllers. That stuff is damn near pure profit. Right, because the cost of manufacturing is not nearly as much as a whole entire console. Yeah. So yeah, they want you to. They'll eat the money on the console, but they know they can get you like on their services, like the you know PS Plus or the Game Pass. Yeah. Or the Nintendo Online service, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's almost to go back to what you said. The game consoles are almost like Walmart. They know, the the console being Walmart, they know that if they can get you to buy that console, eventually you're going to spend more money on that console. It may not be the day of, it may not be the weeks down the line, but eventually you're probably going to shell out and you're going to buy that, spend money on that console. And if you don't, you're probably going to sell it to somebody who does do that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and now that you see this, almost this war of the major consoles and those companies, like when Microsoft bought up Bethesda, yeah, like that was huge. That's going to be so much profit for them because me being a big Elder Scrolls fan, like going into the idea of when Elder Scrolls 6 would come out, like, man, I'll buy that on whatever. But nope, I have to get an Xbox. <laughs> yeah, well... So that works. So I'm, I'm actually... I'm really interested to see who buys what next. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. And I think Bethesda might have even been more for Game Pass than it was. Like, obviously, they want the exclusives. Elder Scrolls, Doom, um, Fallout mm-hmm. are all huge franchises. But, you know, if you can get more of those Elder Scrolls fans to shell out for game pass that just makes game pass all the more profitable for them i i would love to be able to see how much of game pass ends up being profit for them it's game pass like not only do i i I love the service of game pass but i am fascinated by where the money's made and how much money is made and just how lucrative it is 
No, I agree. Like I would, I would absolutely. And I want to, I want to do the research, but I feel like they're never going to divulge that information. Oh no. <laughs> because it's so, it's, it's such a money making machine for them. But ironically, they're not, this is not a new concept at all. Like this Sega did this first. And I don't think a lot of people remember that. Okay. I think I remember. I, I have but vague Se- memories. Go ahead. Like uh, back in the days of the Genesis, Sega had a, uh, a, uh, a service called the Sega channel. Yeah. And it was provided by local cable companies that wanted, uh, that wanted to do it. And you pretty much plug it into your Sega Genesis on, you know, on the top loader and then screw in your coaxial cable from your, TV cable into the back of it, and every month they would put new games on it, and they would just add that fee onto your cable bill. So I know that that was doing well for them, but they must have had a really bad business plan with the cable companies that they were using this through because it was not a very long-lived service. Yeah. Well, and... Internet back when the Sega channel was a thing isn't the internet that we have now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was a big factor. God, I I do not miss uh, having to get yelled at by my parents to get off the uh, computer because they wanted to call somebody. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember those days. Or um, waiting an hour to play a single game on like Nickelodeon or CartoonNetwork.com like a like a browser based game. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Took forever. And that's uh that's how we would also get new episodes of Dragon Ball Z having to download them through Napster because they only had the Raditz saga out on TV at the time. <laughs> I never did that. Good lord. It would take an entire day. Oh no, like <laughs> the funny thing is I'm I'm freaking uh like incriminating myself, but I think the statute of limitations has passed because it's been almost 30 years. Um, <laughs> we would spend an entire Saturday downloading one episode of Dragon Ball Z on Napster, my friends and I, and praying to God that it would be at least subtitled <laughs> or that we had the right episode. But man, when that hit, like we knew that, and spoilers for anybody who hasn't watched Dragon Ball Z, which I, which whatever. Um, when we knew our, our my sixth grade friends and myself that Bulma and Vegeta got together, man, we walked around that school like we knew shit that no one else could fathom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I have a similar story uh, in that. Um, as Dragon Ball Super was coming out, I was very very invested with it. I would I would be watching the um, the new episodes on YouTube. They would come out like right about midnight. Somebody would upload them on YouTube, subtitled the uh, the Japanese release. The the American U.S. overseas version was way behind where the Jap- the Japanese version was. I had a guy I worked with, and at this point, when we were working together, Dragon Ball Super had already been finished. It had been finished for a couple months at that point, probably. Over here in the States, it had not finished. It was in the uh, Tournament of Power arc. And I had a guy I worked with, and he would come in over... uh, When he would come in, we would talk. And over the weekend, he'd be like, Yeah, I just watched the latest Dragon Ball Super episode. 
what do you think's going to happen next? And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, and I had to tell them, him this several times. I'm like, I know what's going to happen next. I, I don't want to tell you if you don't want to know. And I don't want to act like I'm guessing because I know what happens next. I've been, I've been watching it like religiously since it's been coming out subtitled like i know what's going to happen i can't yeah and that would probably happen like probably happen for a month straight he'd come in over uh, during the or the the next work day after the weekend ask me that i'd be like dude like i can't i know what's gonna happen (laughs) that's always the worst when you get ahead of where other people are and those kind of things yeah um, Man, I can't think of another franchise that's really seen such a re uh, rejuvenation as far as anime goes than Dragon Ball. Like, I can't oh. believe it's still as big as it is. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, I want to hop back on to the uh, should set games cost seventy dollars thing real quick, and kind of give where sure. my thoughts are. And then we are at uh, 56 minutes now, so I'm good to keep going, but like whenever you want to stop, we can. But as far as the... Uh... I got gotcha. you. Go ahead with your thoughts. Okay. As far as $70, um, my opinion changes on the reasoning for the $10 increase. If it's a higher profit margin for stores... I'm a little bit more forgiving of it. If it's to cover, to more cover the cost of consoles, I'm again kind of for like I'm I'm more forgiving of it. I'm not for it. I don't necessarily agree that they should be seventy dollars when they've been sixty dollars for quite a while. But um, my biggest issue with next gen games having their starting price be 69.99 is all the other extra stuff that comes with it um or like extra charges i guess you know the the microtransactions the dlc that's going to come the the battle passes you know some of these 70 dollar games are going to also have those and that's where i kind of have a big issue with it No, that that makes perfect sense because, uh, like, charging that amount and not having a complete game, or it's complete when they release it, but, of course, they add on to it. But, and I know that, D, like, DLC and all that, I've never been the biggest supporter of that because it's so easy to say, like, well, back in my day, they gave us the whole game and it was this, yeah. but games now for the most part not all of them are obviously you can play them a lot longer replayability is better stories are better. all all the jazz that comes with it is just you know better than what we used to have and i get that mm-hmm. but and the question I'll, I'll turn this into is would you rather pay seventy dollars for a game and then most likely fifteen dollars give or take or whatever for dlc or would you rather have a free-to-play game that, like a Fortnite or what Halo Infinite is going to be with you know the multiplayer being free-to-play 
and then get microtransactions to death. Because, and judging from just what I've seen of my 14 year old and his Fortnite addiction, knowing what I know I have spent <laughs> more money on that damn game than <laughs> if they'd have just released a $60 game. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. As far as microtransactions go, I'm a lot more forgiving if they're in a free-to-play game. I'm a lot less... I feel like they're a lot less toxic. They, they still are very... Um, they're very good at manipulating people. The, uh, the FOMO is there. You know, you see somebody with this Fortnite skin, it's, and it's the Fortnite skin you've been wanting. You find out, oh, it's locked behind... Uh, I don't know what Fortnite skins cost. Let's say a dollar. It's locked behind a dollar paywall or behind the $15 battle pass for that season. Like, I don't like it. I I could live with it if that, like, I can live with it. When it's a $60, $70 game that is also including these things, and Halo Infinite's kind of a weird one for the, for this situation. But, um, but if it's a $60, $70 game and it's also has all these microtransactions, DLC, and stuff, then I have a bit more of a problem. I have a lot more of a problem, actually. Um, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I'm my Specifically DLC, talking like um, characters or um, like expanded stories and stuff, that I'm... It depends on the game. Like, I be fully believe that Smash Ultimate released a complete game and that every like that the DLC, buying those extra characters, is 100% worth the cost. But there are de there's definitely been games in the past where it feels like they've sold you half a game and they're like, hey, we're going to sell you the rest of this in the DLC. And that's where I have a problem with it. Are you still there? No, that I agree with that. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, I agree with what you're saying there. Like, microtransactions on a free-to-play game, a lot easier to stomach. But when you just add on to a game you've already charged me $70 for, like, you know, get out of here. Yeah, for sure. And, and if they were guaranteeing, if they're like, hey, we're going to take this price up from 60 to $70, but we're not going to include microtransactions, and that's going to be kind of the, uh, the payoff for it, then I would be 100% on board for $70 games if it, if it meant no mi microtransactions. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think I would be as well. I think uh, it's a much more agreeable stance to take. But these companies, you know, they know what we'll do for a game. You know, they know what we'll do for the experience. And and I think all of this, this whole economic uh, issue that we're having with these major developers and these major companies really just kind of kind of opens the door for indie developers, you know, like. Uh, yeah. 
like for example, like Spirit Fair, the, I can't even remember the company that did that one, but such a great game, one cost, everything's there and you have a, a great story, great experience. So I'm really hoping that the, you know, people who are taking issue with some of these prices, you know, if they come across a game that's $70, they go, well, they're not, you know, they're gonna give me microtransactions, they're gonna give me DLC, I don't think it's worth this and take that $70 and support a few indie developers and let's lift them up because it would only incentivize them to keep creating games to keep improving on games and to uh to give us a product that that they know because most indie developers are in the same economic situation that we as consumers are so they know that they're more they're more uh toward our cause toward our reasoning yeah absolutely uh, part of why I got into retro gaming and I buy, try to buy more indie games here lately is because of all the uh, scummy practices that these larger companies are doing. And like you said, indie games really mm -hmm. aren't doing that. And if you buy an old PS2 game or an Xbox game, you're not going to have this issue. No, not at all. And it's... Uh... It's why I keep playing my old games. It's why I go to uh, secondhand game stores and, and buying older retro games. And which the term retro game just hurts my soul now because we call PS2 games retro games, but that is what it is. You could argue the and, Xbox uh, 360 is retro. That's not helping. <laughs> I mean, depends that on hurts what you more. define as retro. <laughs> yeah, no, I get retro it. Retro is Atari. <laughs> yeah, NES, Super NES. Those are retro for me. Exactly. Yeah, but it's all about oh, perspective. You... It really is. Yeah, no, it absolutely is about the perspective of it. And, um, and I just hope that it's, it's impossible to escape capitalism. And the, the really terrible thing about all of this, about the pricing and and where these companies are is that we play games to get away from reality, but these major companies are doing the things to us that we can't handle in our actual lives, like having to deal with the cost of living going up and this, that, and the other. Now it's infiltrating the one escape that we all love. Yep. Absolutely. It just hurts. It cuts deep. <laughs> freaking capitalism right all anybody's gonna take from this is like wow bard's a socialist <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he hates america that's what they're gonna get out of this <laughs> he hates america and video games complaining that, that's about it. the pricing of um, games <laughs> And it's so funny that I'll come, I'll talk about this all day long, the pricing games. Like it's a very good topic, but here I am having bought Final Fantasy VII on like five different platforms. <laughs> yeah. We really are a hypocritical bunch. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Like, yeah, it's, and it, it's almost almost out of necessity. I feel like if you try to boycott every little thing, if, if you look deep enough, every company is going to have some kind of problem. And if you try to boycott each and every one of them for their problems, you're never going to be able to enjoy anything. 
No, you're right. You won't. I mean, and that's where like to kind of round it all out. Like I get the, you know, the issues like people have with the game prices and, and I get the issues that we all have with microtransactions and DLC. But if we're going to use our power of a consumer, like that won't, that won't work. Like we'll never get the entire gaming community to say, no, we're not going to buy your game until you drop it 20 bucks. Like that's not going to happen. But yeah. what we have seen is we've used our power as consumers to target companies that truly deserve it. Like blizzard. Yes. And even, uh, Niantic, which I don't know if you, do you play Pokemon go a lot? I don't play it, but I followed what they've been doing. Like they went back, like they, they, they put back a lot of the stuff that they just took off. Like as far as like the distance issues, like you don't have to be so close to a gym, a pokey stuff now. And some yeah. of the stuff that they took away, the COVID protections that they implemented, they put them all back because the uproar was insane. Like, and, and I agreed with it. It was a dumb thing for them to have done to begin with. So we do have a power as a consumer base and as a people, but we're never going to like, we got to pick and choose. Like I get, and I, I support people who are upset about the prices of games and the reasoning behind it, but it's not a battle. I think we'll win. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Man, I should have been in politics. <laughs> yeah. Here we are solving every world problem, you know? Oh, it's, uh... It's so easy to solve all the problems when we have no power, like, to actually make those changes solo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's, uh, it is interesting. And like you said at the beginning, like, uh, it's a, it's a very good hot, hot button topic. And then I just found it very humorous how people went from really railing against, and, and I say, really railing like you had said earlier that twitter is just a bubble um about the economics and the cost and all that stuff i'm like all right you know we're, we're kind of seeing it now we're seeing the bad business practices people are kind of waking up to it and then they quickly shifted the the rage to uh graphics I'm like well yeah never mind <laughs> like yeah. if you're gonna complain about graphics like i can't help you <laughs> like i get some of the outrage about it but it's really not as bad as pricing issues or things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would rather them charge us more than, you know, have Blizzard's issues be the norm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I think it's funny, though, that, that people that are arguing about graphics and how things look in games and after arguing about the the cost of it so i'm just waiting on somebody like i think it would be the the greatest thing just to watch the reaction if square enix came out and said you're right we're charging you too much and the graphics are an issue so you know what the next chapter of the final fantasy 7 remake we're going to put it back in playstation 1 graphics and you only have to pay me 30 bucks <laughs> people would buy i mean they make. get what they wanted oh absolutely <laughs> but i can just see like so many of the just the twitter outrage mob going crazy about that and i'd probably be there with them oh, yeah. <laughs> knowing me <laughs> well then 
Well then, did you enjoy that? Did you get a lot out of it? Did you have fun listening in on this conversation? Did you say, holy shit, Bard doesn't know what he's talking about? Did you say, man, Gary is a genius? These are thoughts you should have. The guy is so damn intelligent. He knows what he's talking about. He's got his facts. He's got his info. And I love having him on this podcast. It's always a good time. Uh, it was definitely fun for me. I enjoyed the uh, the back and forth we have. And I like that we saw eye to eye on a lot of it. And we had differing opinions on some of it. And that's great. That's what this is about. That's what I've always wanted this podcast to be about. To have a civilized discourse. To have a conversation. To have a good time. So if you liked what you heard, I appreciate that you even uh, that gave us a chance tonight on this. I, if you're new to the podcast, thank you. If you're a returning listener, I'm glad you're still here. Glad you're still supporting. Uh, be a friend. Tell a friend. Um, spread it around. Get it out there. Throw it in the mix. Um, if you enjoyed listening to this and thought, man, I have an idea for something I want to talk about. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Bard Plays Games. I'll get you on here anytime you want to do it. Um, I do want to say that I hope you all enjoyed the realism of it. Like it's kind of raw, like getting uh, the recording going getting our conversation like there's not a lot of editing in this like I like to let the conversation flow naturally I like to have that human element of it I don't want to edit it down to a point where it's just perfect because that's not real that's not actual you know human life like I would like to have the mistakes I like to have the uh the oh wait no never mind hang on I can't hear you can you hear me you know that whole thing because it just lets you know like I take this seriously in the point that I it's so near and dear to me, this project of mine. And I want you to always see that I'm very much a person. I'm very much a human. I'm very much going to make mistakes on things. And the fact that I keep charging through and, and, and Gary and I tonight, you know, we, we got into it. We had a great time not get into it as in like, Oh God, we don't agree. But you know, we dove in head first and we had fun with it despite uh, any little hiccups here and there. And that's what this should always be about. So I'm glad you listened. I'm glad you hung out with us. I hope you had a good time. I love these conversations. And uh, and thank you all for the support. Thank you all for the love. Thank you all for uh, just being a part of this family that that I've get, I'm trying to get off the ground here. And I love our community. I love our culture. I love everything that we're doing. And, uh, you know, it's Friday. Play some games. Have a good weekend. Enjoy yourself. This life is so damn fleeting. There's no sense in wasting it. You know what I mean? So thank you all again. Uh, I will see you all on Monday with a brand new episode of the Bard Talks podcast. Uh, I already have a topic in mind. I may do a special Sunday episode because I have something specific I want to bring up. And uh, for all you sports fans out there, you might enjoy that one. But uh, for the regular scheduled Bard Talks podcast, I will see you all on Monday. So you all have a great weekend. Play some games. Hang out with your friends. Hang out with your family. Be safe. If you haven't been able, if you are able to do so, but you haven't done it yet, please get vaccinated. And uh, y'all have a great weekend. I love each and every one of you.